I've talked about this a couple times on making chips, and you know, I know it's not necessarily manufacturing leadership, but I've been sleeping a lot better at nighttime. Do you want to ask me why? No. Jason, please tell me why. This is going to be the weirdest thing. Are you ready? I'm ready. Oh, God. I'm taping my mouth at nighttime. <laughs> that is so weird. I, can you tape your mouth right now, though, please, for us? Thank you. <laughs> I would sleep better if you did that. You tape your mouth shut. Hey, Jason. You down with CYC? Yeah, you know me. That's right. Do you know what I'm talking about, though? I do, actually. We're talking about thomasnet.com, where you can connect with 1.4 million industrial buyers who use thomasnet.com every day to source new suppliers. Yeah, CYC means claim your company. And what happens when you claim your company, Nick? So you remember the Thomas Register? I do. Okay, I remember so, the Thomas book, that big, big book. Exactly. So ThomasNet is the digital version of that. You're probably already listed. So I'm on there right now. So okay. you go to thomasnet.com slash claim, and you just enter in your company name. And it's going to get more buyers to in front of me, right? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to update your company record and make sure that everything is accurate so that you get into the ThomasNet listing. Beautiful. So go to thomasnet.com slash claim to get started. Bam. Guys, I am so excited for today's episode. We're talking about my favorite subject. What is that? Tooling. Tooling. All right. That's a big one. Let's get started. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name's Jason Zenger, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, the always crying Jim Carr. And Nick Golner. I don't have a nickname for you in this one. The but, always smiling. You, the always smiling. How about the always affable Jim Carr? Well, you were just crying about something, so I just wanted to stay in Do tune with Do you see tears that. on my face? <laughs> Do you see tears rolling down my They're, cheeks? Your eyes a little bit they red. You just, not, what, you just wiped contents. it away. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm really excited about this episode. We're going to be talking about tooling management. I feel like I'm going to learn something here that I'm going to be able to bring some value. Jason, you might sell tooling, but you do need to learn a little bit more about tooling. I know a lot about tooling, Jim. Okay. And I'm going to be learning about ERP tooling. <laughs> Tooling management today. There so you go. I'm very excited about it. There like you one go. of the things that I think, and Nick and you and I have talked about this many times before. The key to being a good salesman is not just to push the products that you want to sell. Sure. It's to actually add value in other areas. So right. one of the reasons why I'm excited about this episode is that... Do you get bottles of wine with every tool that you sell? I gave you a bottle of wine. One bottle of wine in 10 years. My God, well, that's it. you know, you need to buy a little bit more cunning tools for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've never gotten wine from either of you. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I like to do is just to be able to add other value to my clients. So be able to talk to them how they can integrate their tooling management with their ERP system, for example. So we're going to be talking about that today. But before we get into the heart of the episode, tell me what's going on good with you, Jim, today. Today, yesterday, or the day before? Sure, that works. Okay. There's a lot happening right now. Business, personal, I don't know. Choose we one, are Jim. engaging with a major space company right now for new business. Cool. They almost 100% approved us. So Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Huge. That is awesome. Huge. <laughs> Huge. That is awesome. Capital H. Are you talking satellite? Or are you talking spacecraft? Rockets. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. 
That's fantastic. Yes. We were just working on a satellite project and that was intense. Just the material, what it looked like after they machined it was just incredible. And the size of it and the tolerance, I mean, it's unbelievable what they need to hold in these space projects. Yeah. What did we learn in the last episode? If you're in certain industries, you need to get out and get more towards aerospace. If you're in aerospace, you need to get more towards the space, space part of aerospace. Yeah. So well done to both of you for doing that. What about you, Nick? Uh, well, I'm trying to think right now. I had a one-year-old a birthday party for my son, James, yesterday, and then I got another big one on Saturday. I'm not going to give a work-related good news. I'm going to give a Go. personal life I'm going to do the same news. thing. So I was in your neck, in neck of the woods on Saturday, I forgot to tell you. Really? Yes. I was out there for a baby shower. You should have brought because me about a nowadays, line. the millennials invite everybody to a baby shower. So it's... It's because they know they're going to get gifts. <laughs> I, I, we're I'm a bunch just... of entitled punks that just want, <laughs> want hand me out. So you just grill hot dogs and you ask for gifts? Is that what it is? Basically, yeah. They did have some great pies from a bakery in Rockford. It's like this award-winning bakery. It was trying really to think good. Which, which one you're talking about. I can't put the name to yep. it. But you know what the first birthday so what's is news? all about? And the, maybe Jim won't interrupt you this time. The first birthday is all about this. The child smashing cake into his face. And of course. And becoming a total disaster. That's always fun. So that was my favorite part. That's my good news. Cool. I raised another child to at you, least one year old. Nice. Good job. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> So, so let's talk about my, cutting tools. Well, no, before that, I have some good news. Oh, you're not allowed Jim to doesn't, say Jim doesn't want to ask me, but you want to ask me? Nick? I do, yeah. yeah. Do you care? I don't, but I have to pretend like I okay. do for the episode. So Jason, please, I'm so interested. I've talked about this a couple of times on making chips. And you know, I know it's not necessarily manufacturing leadership, but I've been sleeping a lot better at nighttime. Do you want to ask me why? No. Jason, please tell me why. This is going to be the weirdest thing. Are you ready? Oh, I'm God. ready. I'm taping my mouth at nighttime. <laughs> that is so weird. <laughs> Can you tape your mouth right now, though? Please, for us. <laughs> Thank you. I would sleep better if you did that. <laughs> you tape your mouth shut? You don't. Yeah, no joke. I'm taping my mouth at nighttime. Why? And I'm sleeping better. Oh, so you'll breathe through God. your nose? Yeah. I feel like exactly. I would just choke. No, no, no. Like, no, this is, this is legit. No, this is legit. I'm taping my mouth at nighttime. I bought this special tape <laughs> that... <laughs> it was definitely Amanda's idea. <laughs> no, I'm it wasn't. Sure. I came up with this. Well, no, Amanda's smarter than that. <laughs> she just wanted to tape his mouth shut. She's actually very pleased about it because she's like, you're not snoring. You're not making any noise at nighttime. And I'm sleeping. She said, I'm sleeping better now. I'm impressed. And so, yeah, at nighttime, I'm taping my mouth. And <laughs> I don't do the thing where you're like, you know, and you yeah. like wake yourself up, you like die it a little just bit, completely went away. And I'm sleeping all through the night most of the time now. Well, congratulations. So I just wanted to bring that tip to the manufacturing leaders out there because uh, I know I'm sure all the manufacturing leaders out there are just thrilled to know that you are doing that. They're Sleep they're thrilled is to know important. that you tape your mouth shut. <laughs> Sleep they're is probably important. hoping that you do that during the daytime hours too. <laughs> Well, a future podcast, I'll tape my mouth so that I can... You know, just Thank you. Well, can you do the manufacturing news without the your only awkward, Just in shut? closing, the only awkward part is like when I have to like say goodnight to my wife and I can't really say anything because <laughs> my mouth is taped. <laughs> just do it with like blinks. Exactly. Morse code. Well, then lights are off, so no, you can't blink. All Get right, into the so, news. Anyway, manufacturing <laughs> news. Manufacturing news is from a company called Amoji. And I hope I'm saying that correctly. Or Amoji. A-M-O-G-Y. And so the reason that this is related to manufacturing, it kind of caught my attention because they have partnered with John Deere. They successfully integrated a ammonia to power technology into a John Deere tractor. So they have a tractor that is powered by ammonia. So zero emissions, ammonia powered tractors. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It is wild. The reason I wanted to bring this up for the Metalworking Nation is because industries change a lot and yeah. they change rapidly. and 
who would have thought that the gas engine would have been replaced? And it hasn't been replaced well, yet. Well, I mean, how long has the gas engine been in production? Right. That 1920s? But things are changing just so much more rapidly as we go. Oh, I know, I know. I and if, it. as a client, you're like, I'm making all these parts for gas-powered engines, well, you better be careful because those kind of industries could potentially Absolutely. go away in the future. And it's not just about green energy, but things are changing fast. Yeah, the rate of change is exponential. And when I was in Denver earlier this year for the MT forecast, where you learn all about... Your dad too, that are right? trending. Yeah, my, my dad and I went. It was in the past about this EV shift, automotive shifting to EV. There's it's different kinds of parts, less parts in many cases. Less parts. Well, that's the big thing is that it's far less parts in, say, an EV vehicle compared to a... And now, this one, they were talking about hydrogen. And hydrogen yeah, vehicles. So yeah, so this it's company still too expensive to produce the hydrogen, but there's advancements that are happening. That we are, yeah, but are working with a brand new startup right now that is doing that. Yeah. So I mean, can change it again. Like, everything point, is expensive Jason. in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, EV was expensive in the beginning too. Dating, marriage, way more expensive in the beginning. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's true. So I'm going to read part of this press release from this company. It says, we're thrilled to be demonstrating our zero emission ammonia powered solution in action in a tractor for the first time ever. Ammonia is a viable zero emission fuel for all heavy duty vehicles, but especially farming and agriculture where the readily available chemical has been used as a fertilizer for decades. So things change and you mm -hmm. have to be ready to change with it. That is wild. I never thought that I would see an ammonia powered tractor, but there it is. All right, well, let's move on to the episode. Jim, would you like to introduce our guest? You can untape his mouth now. So I would be happy to join in. <laughs> I'm anxious to talk about this because... I think it's going to help us as a company. And anyway, this guy is absolutely no stranger to making chips. He's been around for a couple of years. We keep inviting him back because he's got such wisdom and he's passionate about our industry. Please welcome once again to the Making Chips studio, Mr. Paul Van Meter. Paul. Hello, gentlemen. Great Hi, to Paul. be here. What's up, man? Great to be here with you guys. You're here amongst the circus, right? <laughs> it is. I'm, yeah, I got to take, take, take my mouth shut so I don't laugh out loud at all your antics. <laughs> It's always a fun day here Absolutely when you come and join is. us. And glad to be here at your shop. It's spectacular, Jim. Thank you. You've Very happy. amazing it job. It was a lot of work. But anyway, we're here, we're ready to work, and we're ready to talk about tool management. Yeah. Tell me, what are we talking about? So, Paul, why is tooling management important? I mean, why is this a featured module within your ERP system, and why do you think that every shop owner out there really has to be really clear about their tooling management in their ERP system. Why is this mm -hmm. important? This is important because we service pretty much exclusively machining companies and you machine your metal with cutting tools. Cutting tools are important. It is absolutely core to everything that a shop does. Yeah. If you're not removing metal, you're not making chips. <laughs> Something like that. You're not making money. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Okay, we're done. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, obviously you sell tools, yeah. right? Yeah. Jim uses tools. Yep. Nick, you use tools in, in, the, use in tools, the fixtures yeah. and everything you make, of sure. course. And in the industry, this varies wildly. Some companies are really dialed in and other companies take a much more lackadaisical approach to their tools. So how would you consider that? So I kind of know, but is it like, oh, just give me whatever half inch end mill that you've got in your toolbox versus, okay, this is specifically this YG1 high performance three flute end mill for this particular material. Is that the difference between the two? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So there are shops that get very specific down to the EDP number from exactly what they're doing. 
what type of holder to have it in, what the extension length is, what's the torque on the nut or whatever tool clamping they're doing. And I've definitely seen, as somebody who sells tooling, I've seen this progression happen over a period of time where a lot of our clients used to just say, I need a they throw out a couple specifications, we get them exactly what they want. Now it's very precise in what they want. And as a matter of fact, we help our clients put together tool sheets and everything for their jobs. And it has to be specific. And one of the things that you know we talked about off mic previously, especially with automation, it becomes really important. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of companies, I think, in the middle area as well. Mm-hmm. They get a little bit specific. They say they need half-inch end mill with a 60-thou rad that has tick encoding and is at least two inches of cut length, right? But that's still not specific enough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. When you do that, and what is often the case is a, is a CNC programmer, they'll pull up their cam system, they will program to these more or less sort of general tooling descriptions, and then they'll make their tool list and send it out on the shop floor. And the guys or gals on the fl- shop floor will go look in the tool crib or look in their toolboxes or wherever they happen to have tools and grab the thing that they think looks the most like what was described by the programmer. But the problem is you're going to get all sorts of variable results, right? If it's a little too long, if it's sticking out out of the holder longer than it should be, if it's not the right helix or well, rake angle. have to be even run huge, differently. Hugely, of course, yeah. And so you're just going to get variable results. You're going to have higher, lower first pass yield, higher scrap rates, more chatter, less optimized cycle times. And then the problem with most ERP systems is they don't touch cutting tools at all, right? Mm-hmm. You could possibly put it on the bomb as a general like bomb item, but that's still not quite good enough. So when we were running our shop and deciding that we needed some ERP, we started calling around all the ERP vendors and we said, all right, show us how you do cutting tool management. And universally, they're like, no, we don't do cutting tool management. You know why? Because they didn't understand that part. Sure. Their brains couldn't wrap around that because they just were oblivious that sure. They didn't know what they didn't know. Of course, yeah. For those of you that are listening for the first time, ProShop started from a company called, what was it, ProCNC? ProCNC, yes. Where you built this ERP specifically for your needs. So of course you had cutting tools in mind. Yeah, so my partners and I started a machine shop right out of college. And within three years, we were looking for software because we were growing big enough where we needed it. We just couldn't find anything on the market that was really suited to a job shop machine shop. Mm -hmm. So we decided to build our own from scratch, never intending to sell it to anyone else, quite honestly. But long story short is here we are after selling our shop and now selling pro shop. Anyway, so I have a really strong belief and passion that shops need to be much more scientific with their cutting tool management approach. And our clients prove out time and time again that there are huge, huge benefits to getting more scientific with cutting tool management. Yeah, you want, and you want to remove that variability. Absolutely. And one of the things that we help our clients do is, is we work on continuous improvement. And if you don't know where your baseline is and you don't know how to measure that, you can't figure out what's going to help you to get better because there's always a tool, a cutting tool that's going to help you to machine faster or whatever else you're trying to accomplish. But if you don't know where your baseline is, mm-hmm. how can you make an improvement? Yeah. And you alluded to this earlier, but variability is an enemy of automation, right? So if you're going to go lights out and run, not a lot of people have enough employees for the shifts they have. So they don't have three shifts worth of employees running around the clock. And so if you're going to run lights out and you're going to automate a process and you have all this variability in the mix, it's going to be a disaster. It's never going to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know we were a little late to the game with starting our tool crib in ProShop. But it seems like once they started getting it, it started really snowballing. So 
what is important to know is you have your process, you estimate the job, it creates a part level, we do a work order, and then it pushes out to the to our command center, which is where our full-time programmer picks the tools to mm-hmm. do the job. He's the guy that has to say, okay, here's a two-inch by four-inch by six-inch piece of 7075 aluminum, and we've got to cut a pocket, we got to put some chamfers on, we've got to go on the backside or on the sides, we got to put some M8 by one and a quarter-inch holes in it, and it's going to require a tap drill, a center drill, and a couple of end mills. So those tools are in our system. All he's got to do is pick, select that tool that's going to be the most appropriate for what he's got to do. Of course, if he's working on a two by four by six block, he's not going to pick a one inch end mill, right? He's probably going to pick a three eighths diameter end mill, three flute with probably an inch of flute length, and he's going to start roughing it all out. And the thing is, once this program is done, all these tools have numbers labeled on them. The setup guy goes, grabs that program, reviews the tools in your pre-process checklist, make sure we have them in the tool thing, and then just pulls them right out. There's no questions asked at all. They know exactly what they're going to pick and they're going to set up based on what the programmer has programmed for that particular job. And you just, yeah, keyed up a really important point. What I was first talking about was process stability when you're being specific. So process stability is very important, obviously. In a more low volume job shop like yours, Jim, Mm -hmm. it's really about setup reduction. And I'm sure this happens to you. It happens to all sorts of shops. But oftentimes they'll go to set up a job and they'll realize they don't actually have the tools they need for that job. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're overnighting red overnight shipping charges, early AM delivery right? You're spending 70 bucks for a $20 tool and your machine has to sit all day or you pull the well, setup. We have millions and try... of dollars in tooling here locally. So yes, you just if you have something as good as Zengers <laughs> nearby, you just run down to your retail counter and uh, pick that up. The retail counter that he's been killing <laughs> off from yeah. his business for five straight years. But uh, we I deliver mean, too. So. <laughs> We've had relatively small clients that were spending 20 grand a year in overnight shipping charges because things were so chaotic. on the shop floor that they just didn't know what tools they had and didn't have. So we believe that with getting more scientific with that, plus all the other things on the pre-processing checklist, you can cut your average setup time by about 50%. That sounds like a good episode. And we see that time and time again that that happens. So one of the important parts of getting more scientific with this is then making sure that's queuing up into the purchasing system, right? You got to, we think, predict what tools you're going to need in advance so you can get them coming on the slow, on the slow ship, low cost shipping method, have them in the shop several days in advance and then pre-processed in their holders, correct extension lengths, torqued up in a caddy, ready to go in the machine. Right? Yeah, because the fact is, is that you shouldn't wait to figure out what tooling you need until the day that you're going to machine. I mean, you should but know a lot of companies at least do a week that ahead of time. A lot right? of companies do that. A lot of companies well, do that. It, absolutely. A lot more than you think they do it. Right. I'm sure. Are you guys ready for IMTS? Nick, I am stoked. And I just got back from California, so I really wanted to use that word. There you go. I like it. That's yeah. rad. I am for sure. I can't wait. Okay. So how prepared are you? Do you know what's where in this big McCormick place? I don't. Why don't you help me out with it, Nick? All right. I'll take the first three. So the first three, additive manufacturing. That's in the West building. Abrasive machining and sawing. That's in the North building. 
Controls and CAD CAM. That's in the East Building. Yep. And then fabricating and lasers are in the North Building. Gear generation is also in the North Building. And machine components, cleaning, and environmental, East. Yeah, and the last three are my favorites. Metal removal is in the South Building. Quality assurance is in the East Building. And finally, where I spend most of my time, the tooling and work holding is in the West Building. You bet. Awesome. Don't forget to download the app to find out where all these at. There's a map in there. IMTS.com is also another great place to start. Register now. And you can plan your whole show right from the app. Is there a big difference you see between the companies that are doing high production versus, say, like gyms, which, you know, which is more project-based? For sure, yeah. I mean, when you're doing a high production, very stable type of process, you have your vending machines, mm-hmm. people check out their tools, they're using a really consistent amount of tools every week. That's mm-hmm. it's a very easy thing to predict and stay on the top of. setting a lot of times. Yep. Yep. But if it's more of a job shop environment and you don't know what's coming down next week or the week after, it could be a totally variable tool that you don't have. And a lot of times, if they're not managing tools in a more proactive way, they're just sort of creating it in the CAM system or looking in their CAM tool library to see what they have used before. But they don't necessarily know if that's in, you know, in inventory. Right. And especially with companies, and we, we have a lot of clients that use vending machines as well, which is a great strategy for those constant movers. But a lot of times you can have a big influx of different parts that all use the same type of tool and you get a spike and you go way above your minimums and you still find yourself short of tools. I just see so much synergy between what your product does as it relates to cutting tool management and then what Jason does with vendor managed inventory. Because you both have the same goal, make reduce setup time, make sure the tools are always available. But what a company like Jason's would lack is that predictability unless they're like just sitting there on the shop floor all the time watching mm-hmm. their clients well you have basic tools that are always there that always should be there but sure that perfect storm though how do you solve for the perfect storm where all of a sudden everything uses the same tool and you don't have enough well right? that's where you need to i always tell my clients we need to communicate but i mean if you have a sophisticated erp system where you can see these possible spikeages ahead of time it makes that communication that much easier is spikeage is a word I think it is. It is. Now. Yeah, it is now. Usually we, we leave the word TM, inventions up for Jim. Yeah, Jim's looking it up online right I now. Am. I just pulled up our tool crib here. And what I love about this is, so these are all our end mills, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sorry, who's ever listening to this, but you can't see this. Yeah, we're all looking at the screen. It's, here, so. We're all looking at a screen. So here's the thing. You can go in and just say from 375 to 375. These are all the three eighths end mills in our inventory. And you have right 21 now. of them. What was the total? In the lower left corner, you have 21 3.8 mills. Right. And then here's all the uncoded, Thailand coded, yeah. ZRN. I don't know. What, what is that? And then the helix angles. What is it recommended for aluminum, for steel, for... As far um, as the workpiece itself? Yeah. Well, what kind of material you're cutting, right, yeah. Nick? Yeah. So yeah, when your programmer is programming a job that yes. needs this, they're going to start filtering on other fields as well. Right. Right. What is the the cut length I need, you know, or let's what say is just the aluminum. number of flutes or the material. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Here. It's just filtering it all down. And they'll typically filter it down to just possibly two or three tools that will work in the application. Well, then you could, let's go th- flutes. Let's say three flutes. So they're going to be hogging, right? So from three to three. So there are the filters I just put in as a 375 end mill in a three flute aluminum. So there, what do we have in, what do yeah, we have in we have 11 of them. Or 11 per numbers, and then you can filter by how many you have in the shop, yeah. Or by coding, and or then, length of cut. Yes, exactly. 
So there's everything that we have in our inventory right there, now, 36. Here I'm still seeing like, okay, I can choose any of those 11 and it would work. Well, let's say, Jim, filter it for DLC coding. So that there'll be two left. Looks like you have two options there. Right? Yeah, yep. you got you. So we've got 14 in stock. Even down to like, how do I ultimately choose between one or the other? There may be another variable. Maybe it's one, has a, one has a corner rad, one is flat, you gotcha. know, who knows what. But this is for the initial run of a new job, right? And right now what we're doing. When you're going no, to we're choose going a tool if you need to. I guess, because if it's a repeat job. Yeah, you're programming a brand new job. Yeah, yeah. if it's a repeat job, at. you should have it dialed in. Of course. You should have and it dialed in. And then, then you yes. just pull up the job and it tells you exactly which tools yeah. you're going to need. A153, you tool number, boom. So that makes sense to me now. Well, the nice thing about this searchability is that the last thing you want to do is introduce a renegade tool, something that doesn't need to be there because there's already an existing tool that will do the job just yeah, fine. Yeah, a lot of shops, besides you know, I, not having the right tool at the right they time, they many. also have way too well, many and tools. We, we find that when time. we help our customers to fix their tool cribs, they always have way too many SKUs. And this gives you a good visual for saying, okay, where is my repeated tool so that I don't have to A, add anything, or B, I can work at eliminating. I will tell you our programmer did get a little lazy once and he started adding in... Mm-hmm redundant tools, which if he would have searched like I just right. did here, mm-hmm. sure. he would have seen that we that tool had already been identified in the thing. So he made two mm-hmm. of them, and which is kind of a problem because you'd never know if that job repeats, there's actually two tool numbers for the same identical tool. But that doesn't happen too much. And we just have to make sure that it doesn't happen that often. Do you then like check out the tool? How does it manage like what you still have? We have a thing that we call sequence details. So you'd add it to the sequence of a particular machining operation. Mm-hmm. So let's okay. say it's the roughing, or, you know, it's the first operation where you rough in the top. So you'd add that to the list. You'd put in an approximate tool life, right? Based on the fact that this is aluminum and it's, I think we'll get a hundred parts out of this tool and that feeds into procurement. So we use a shopping cart system where you just throw a bunch of work orders in a shopping cart, filter it down by vendor, and then go check out and issue POs to Zangers or whomever mm-hmm. to buy those tools. Wow. Because the quantity of tools that you use for a part multiplied by the number of parts you're making in your order, that tells you how many cutting tools you're going to consume. And if you're scheduling properly, can you do that, say, a week ahead of time of or two weeks ahead of oh, time yeah, sure. so that you can, I mean, Absolutely. a week beforehand, I've got my tools and I'm ready to stage it and get ready for the job. Wait till I get that Zanger's coupon code on Google, right? There you go. And then go ahead and buy it. (laughs) And then we're also big advocates and there's all types of shops doing all types of work, but of offline tool presetting, making Mm -hmm. sure it's the exact right extension length in the right holder, ready to go. And you're not typing in offsets into your machine because you can fat finger it and that's mm-hmm. a huge cause of crashes oh yeah expensive crashes especially yeah. at five access to it that the length is critical. oh yeah. yeah 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 i mean if you can save five minutes eight minutes to change out a tool i mean you multiply that over a period of time and you've saved a, you've had uptime you know paul there was somebody that you had told me about recently that had a really great success story about tool management what was his name his name is david 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 yeah, from Faircloth machine shop yeah where are and they at they're in north carolina oh, interesting yep. And I think kind of like you, and maybe we can even get him on the phone, but he was a little late to start doing tool to management. To party. He said, I love ProShop. I'm going to implement all these things, but I'm not going to do the tool module. It's just too much for us. We're a small job shop. Cutting tool management is just too much of a heavy lift. Well, it is a little bit of a lift, right? It it's a, a heavy lift. lift and you just wonder what the ROI is going to be. Right. It's, go- it's so, great. Let me tell as you. As he says, everything got better in his company except for cutting tools. And, and then one day, I do. Yeah, let's, call. let's, let's give, give him a call. A call. Let's try I see what happens. success stories. Yeah, absolutely. Hold on. Hey, Dave, how's it going? This is Paul. Well, it's just about like, about like, about like always. 
like always. So I am actually here with the Making Chips guys, and we are recording a podcast, and we are talking about cutting tool management. And Jim was telling me, so Jim, owner of Car Machine and Tool. Hey, Dave. Hey, how you doing? I'm well, thanks. So we want to hear a success story. We were late to the party by starting the tool management system in ProShop. And Paul said, yeah, my friend Dave also was the same way. He said, you know, oh my God, that's going to be so arduous to put all those tools in and manage it and forget it. So you put it off. And then what happened? The biggest thing was we were having some setup issues like on, on second shift. And, you know, we had grown as a company from where we were when we got in ProShop. Because when we, when we looked at ProShop, just on the demo, Paul was going over the tool management. And Brandon and I were looking at each other and like, oh, we're not doing that. That's a lot of work. We're never doing that. Oh, hell no. And then, you know, then we started adding people. We added a second shift. You got more people doing stuff. Right. I came in on second shift to try to help some setups. And... The machinist who was trying to set the job up was basically just threw it in my lap and said, you know, here's what I got. What should I do? And the notes were not good enough and said half-inch end mill or .157 drill, you know, for example. And he looked at me like, you figure it out. And it's been a while since I'm not the stupidest guy in the world. And <laughs> it's been a while since I, I don't know if I'm smart either, but, you know, I'm not the dumbest. It's been a while since I was on the floor. And I looked at it like, you know, and I don't know what these tools are either. I don't know which half-inch end mill you need. And I don't know are we talk about a three-inch drill. We talk about a high-speed steel drill, cobalt. What are we talking about? I don't know. And, and then no one don't know either. Yeah, and then the manufacturer of the tool is an important piece of information too, right? You want to know if it's a YG1 or... You were thinking to yourself, there has to be a better way to do this. There's got to be. It was, you know, I looked at myself and I was like, why don't you quit? I mean, I looked at the guy and I'm thinking, why don't you go to my office and quit? If I were you, that's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has got to be so frustrating. Yeah, if I were you, I would go to my office, chew me out, and tell me I'm a dumb jerk, dumbass, whatever, and I would quit and, and walk out. That's what I would do if I were in your shoes. And so I got to thinking to myself, man, there's got to be a way that we can do a better job of identifying these tools and knowing what they are. I wonder, oh, I've already paid for a way to do that. <laughs> I've already got it. Uh, it's already part of the system. The module's included. We just have to do it. you got to yep. get over that first that first hurdle of going through and putting your tools in there. And that's when I decided, okay, this is something that we're going to do. This is chaos. And we're going to, we're going to get rid of this because a machinist, you know, he's got enough problems, but he should be able to go to a job and know this is the tool that I need. Not a tool like this, not a tool sort of this, not this size tool. I need this tool. This is the tool that it was programmed for. And he shouldn't have to play where's Waldo shouldn't have to guess. He shouldn't have to use his experience. He should know the programmer programmer for this particular tool yep. right here. Yep. And he should have a picture that shows what it is so he can verify, oh, yeah, I got the right tool when he's working on a setup. And so that's where that the impetus came to actually use the module that came with it to identify what tools went, went in the job. That was certainly a success for us, and that has been an improvement. I think I wrote something up for adding on about this a while back, but I had a really old crusty guy who didn't like anything. Who was we were in the process of moving, and I had was his name Jim Clark. <laughs> I'm far from that. Every, every shop has every, every shop, shop has, has a crusty, crusty old machinist that machinist. Yes. Yes. doesn't like anything. Yes. Yeah, right, right. He doesn't like anything. Yes, we have a thing about that, but it's not. You can't say it for a. No, we can't, can't put that on the air. air. No. No, we can't put that on the air. 
And Paul Prosny, this was editable, so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he, he came back. We brought him back to our other facility and we explained to him how we were doing tools over here now. And, and he said, hey, this is pretty good. This is a big improvement because he could, you know, we, we were, were using a matrix tool cabinet for a lot of these tools. And he could, we had a key to the pro shop number. So he could put the pro shop number in, the drawer would open up, and that's the tool he needs right there. No question, no guessing. It was this tool right here. Plus, you order. If you can manage your inventory, then you know whether you've got enough tools to do the job or not. So that was a big improvement. That was- yeah. So David, what was the net result? I mean, were your setup times lower? Were your cycle times more consistent? Was your scrap rate lower? What improved? You can play poker with me here and you don't have to tell me, but I really wondered what Kelsey thought about our shop when he first saw us. Kelsey probably looked at us and thought, there's you guys are never going to survive. We were strictly a job shop. When we got pro shop, we weren't monitoring our scrap rate. We weren't monitoring our NCRs. We were just doing it. Mm-hmm. And so as far as, as far as the setup time, I couldn't tell you because I wasn't monitoring it. I just know that these other jobs, these jobs were taking way too long. Yeah. And they were saying it was in the setup. So because I wasn't keeping the 13%, Sixteen percent. I can tell you, there's less frustration. Sure. Uh, people aren't frustrated trying to find tools. I can tell you that people aren't walking around trying to hunt and find stuff. I can tell you that that is way better. But as far as and the setup times are much more respectable now. But I cannot tell you what it was because I'm, I'm embarrassed. But we were we just weren't monitoring it. We were getting very poor compliance with getting people to track their time accurately. Because it was a, when we got pro shop, as I've told you before, it was sort of like a train taking a right turn. Mm-hmm. We were really trying to change the culture and we had a lot of bad habits that we had to replace. And so it was, uh, so I well, really could not give you heart. Well, that's quite all right. Thank you for sharing that. A little bit of a vulnerable thing to say, but there are so many shop owners in the exact same position as you, David. Totally. I totally get it. Well, I mean, one of the keys to having a great team is to not frustrate them. So just the fact that you were able to remove that frustration level, I mean, you can retain people on your team just that way. I mean, like you said, you would have quit if you were in his position. And I mean, that's huge nowadays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was embarrassing. Actually, it was embarrassing to me what I was expecting the guy to do. I was basically expecting him to work a miracle when he had really poor information. Sure. And it was it, it hurt my feelings. It was so bad. Yeah, I mean it's kind of funny because as a tooling distributor, back in the day we used to have some clients that would be like, What's that half inch end mill that we use all the time? And they would have no idea which one it is, but as their tooling distributor, we knew exactly of what course. they use. We're like, Oh yeah, that's this car part number one, two, three, four, five, you know, whatever it was. Well, yeah, it's different. I mean it shouldn't be, but it's easy to be much different when you're a very small shop doing job shop. Yeah, you know everything. Because usually you know everything. And usually you have two or three guys who are really, really good and they know everything too. And you guys can you know, you can say, Oh yeah, you just know everything. But when you start getting two shifts and twenty people on the floor, you don't know anything anymore. Yeah, that's called tribal knowledge. That's and called we're trying tribal to knowledge. eliminate that yeah. out of our yeah. shops. Yeah, you just make that iterations in the size of company and you have to get more sophisticated, which is what you did. Exactly. Exactly. And if you programmed his job for a three inch end mill and your guy puts in a two inch depth of cut and he sets it off to the tooltip and you're gonna have a machine crash. Yep. That's expensive and kills confidence. 
That's expensive. So really the trick here is to get over the initial hurdle of getting your tools. Like, you know, we had got a whole bunch, we had a whole bunch of programs at the time. We had a lot of tools in stock. It's that initial hurdle of, okay, we're going to do this. We're actually going to take the time to take a little picture and put it in there or grab one off the internet so the machinists can verify that there's not been a script. You know, confidence. Yeah, that, that's the tool. What was that transition like to actually getting the tool management implemented? That was one of those things. Sometimes you have to kind of get the team to be on board with you, and you sort of have to you have to let that people come up with their with ideas that you say, "Hey, that's a great idea. Let's do that." And sometimes you just have to say, "Guys, this is the way that we're going to do it." And there was some internal resistance because some people were already busy and they didn't want to take the time. And I just had to say, "You know what? We're going to do this." And I had to sort of make everybody do. I had to make everybody do this. Now, everybody involved especially Matt, who I put a lot of work on to get these tools in. He came to my office later and admitted, yep, you were right. He said, this, it was better for him. I'd almost forgotten this part because what was happening was people didn't know what tools they were supposed to use. So they were going to Matt, hey, Matt, what tool is this? Is it this one or this one? And so once we had all the tools in there, he said, yeah, people don't come to me and ask me these questions anymore. I don't get 50 interruptions a day about what tool is this, what tool is that. So the transition was we sort of, I sort of had to force it. But once people did it, they agreed, yeah, that was worth doing. But that was a real improvement. It was something we could chalk up to the wind column, especially because it's already there. You're already paying for it. It's already integrated into your software, uh, and you need it. So use it. It's not a bad system. Awesome. Well, David, thank you very much for sharing that. I know a lot of shops can relate to exactly the pain you were going through. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you, buddy. Good talking to you. Thanks, Dave. No Thank problem. you, Dave. All right. Thanks, guys. Hope Talk helpful. to you later. Bye-bye. So relatable, right? So relatable. So relatable. I mean, I told everything he said was the honest to God truth. The thing is, you got to push yourself to make change in your own shop. If you don't push yourself out of your comfort zone, you're never going to grow. Yep. How many shops do you think are at the beginning stages of tool management? Of using Pro Do you think Shop the majority? No. no, just, yeah. in, just general. in general. You in general. an exact number. No way. <laughs> yeah. Please provide um, me. I mean, do you I think, think it's more than 50%? I think less than 50% have a scientific approach to this. Okay. Yeah, it's more ad hoc, sort of on the fly. Depends on the size of the shop, obviously. Sure. A hundred-man shop can't, I mean, they can't do... Can't, oh, they can. It could be crazy. You, you think know. so? Oh, my Depends God. Depends on if the it's a job money. shop or if a production shop. It's a big difference. Yeah, the money they must be losing. I think we'd also be surprised how many really large businesses don't have a scientific approach to this. I'm in a lot of shops. Yeah, and I know. Yeah. It's like, I know, oh gosh, I know. it's crazy. So while I'd love to talk to anyone that wants to talk to us about this, the reality is you can get 80% of the results of this just in being more scientific with spreadsheets and physical systems, right? So the takeaways, I think for me, are have your programmers be more scientific down to the exact tool EDP number of your preferred vendor, hopefully Zingers, and put it on a list, forecast how many you think you're going to use as you have jobs coming up and then aggregate that demand so you can mass buy the tools that you need in advance. Mm -hmm. So they're sitting in inventory before you go to uh, set up those jobs and then pre-process the jobs, get them all kitted, ready to go. Don't go looking for tools when the last job has broken down, right? You got to do that days in advance, Uh, even for a job shop. That's totally possible as, as you know, Jim. Yeah. 
And then, yeah, keep track of your tool usage, refine that over time. And it's amazing how much smoother things will go. Believe me, it works. So, Paul, we've talked about why you need to get more scientific with your approach to tool management. What if someone in the Metalworking Nation wants to find out how exactly ProShop works their tool management module, whether they're a ProShop user or whether they're just interested in ProShop? Is there a way they can find out more about that? Certainly on our website, ProShopERP.com. And we actually did a webinar with David and his company about their transition to using the tooling module. And that's housed on your site, right? That That is. It's in our video library. Yeah. Okay. So go to ProShopERP.com and then go to your video library and you should see tooling management webinar on there. Yep. It's tooling management webinar. Yes. Or if you're a subscriber to Making Chips, you can subscribe at makingchips.com. We'll put that in the show notes, the email you get, which includes the episode. We'll we'll put a link directly to that webinar. Sounds good. Well, if you're not using cutting tools... You're not making chips. And if you're not making chips... You're not making money. Bam. Bam! Thanks for listening to the Making Chips Podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution, and many of them are at makingchips.com.